You know, there can and should be a great variety in our music. But regardless of what form it takes, wherever a person is filled by the Spirit with the Word, there will be a deep, abiding love for God-centered music. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing with part four of his current series titled The Holy Spirit's Influence. On today's program, Tom continues his study in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, on the three primary effects or consequences of someone under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The first of these three influences is having a love for God's Word as reflected in a love for God-centered music. Loving God-centered music is evidence that reflects the truth about who God is and how His truth influences your life. And today, Tom will present some guiding principles to help you determine how you can truly know what music is indeed God-centered. Let's join Tom now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. Music serves a horizontal purpose. We are to speak to one another. We are to admonish one another in our music. Music also serves a second purpose, and that is a vertical purpose. Not only a horizontal one, but a vertical purpose. Look at the second half of verse 19. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So music is others-directed for their edification, and it's God-directed for worship. Music is intended to be for God, as well as for each other. That means that when we sing, music expresses our hearts to God. It expresses our praise to God, doesn't it? Psalm 66, 4 says, All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Music expresses our praise to God. It also expresses our thanksgiving to God. Colossians 3, 16, singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Psalm 33, 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Music even expresses our repentance to God. Psalm 51 is a song meant to be sung with the accompaniment of musical instruments, and it is a powerful expression of repentance. Music expresses our petitions to God, the things we'd like for God to respond to and do. The Psalms are filled with examples of that, but just listen to Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. And then he begins to pour out his petitions. So music then expresses our hearts to God, whether it is praise or thanksgiving or repentance or petitions. It is vertically directed. In that sense, we sing to the Lord. Ultimately, though, music, whether on the horizontal level or the vertical level, all ultimately is for one great end, and that is what? To glorify God. God created music for the sole purpose of bringing Him glory. How do I know that? Well, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, Paul says there in this sweeping statement, 
For from him, that is, God is the source of all things, and through him, that is, God sustains all things, and to him, that means God is the end of all things, the goal of all things, to him be the glory forever and ever. Ultimately, everything God created, including music, exists for one great eternal purpose, to bring him glory. That's why there is music. It's not for our selfish use. It's a tool to help us glorify God. In Colossians chapter three, Paul explicitly says that we are to sing to God, meaning to the Father. But notice here in Ephesians five, verse 19, he says it a little differently. He says, we sing and make melody to the Lord. Now every other time this expression Lord, the the Greek word is kurios, occurs in this letter, it refers to Jesus Christ. So Paul is here demanding that our songs not only be sung to the Father, but also to Christ. If you were to look in the book of Revelation, you would see that the songs that are sung in heaven are addressed both to the Father and to his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the distinctive of all truly Christian singing. And I tell you that it concerns me that we live in a culture where those who control Christian publishing are all too often trying to make as much money as they can to increase their market share to support the bottom line, and they go to the lowest common denominator. They produce music that just about anybody can be comfortable singing if they believe there's a God. Christian music is distinctively Christian. Pliny the Younger, writing in the year 112 AD, in a famous letter to the Emperor Trajan, described Christians like this. They are those who, quote, recited to one another in turns, that's kind of an antiphonal singing, kind of a choir, congregation type thing, a hymn to Christ as God. The focus of our music is to be others, and it's to be God. Christian, there's nothing wrong with your listening to secular music, as long as the lyrics, of course, are not contrary to the scripture. But if your iPod or your CD collection is more about Mozart or the Black Eyed Peas than Christ, there's a problem. And the problem is deeper than your musical tastes. What it means is that you are not permeated with the Word of God. You are not filled by the Spirit with the Word. For the Spirit-filled Christian, music that glorifies God is a huge priority. It has to be because of its purpose to benefit one another, and to offer our hearts to God in praise, thanksgiving, and petition. There's a second insight in this amazing verse about music, not only its purpose, but secondly, the variety of music in the Christian's life. The variety of music in the Christian's life. Notice in verse 19, Paul identifies three types or kinds of lyrics that are acceptable in the worship of God. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul uses those same three categories in Colossians chapter three. Those were the most common words for religious songs that are used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint. They are often used even interchangeably in the psalm titles, so we shouldn't make any really hard, sharp distinctions between them, but there are some nuances of difference between them. Let me just briefly give them to you. First of all, psalms. The Greek word, you'll recognize it's the word psalmos. Our English word then is not a translation, it's a transliteration from Greek. The Greek word originally meant to pluck the string of a bow. 
or it referred to the sound that comes from a stringed instrument. So when it's used in the Septuagint, this word makes it clear that when the people of God in the Old Testament sang the Psalms, they did so with musical accompaniment, with string accompaniment. In the New Testament, the word psalmos occurs seven times, five times clearly referring to the Old Testament psalms. The other two times are the ones we're looking at here in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. So then, putting it all together, we can say this, psalms refers primarily to the Old Testament Psalter and to later songs that arise directly out of the poetry of the psalms or that use the psalms as a pattern. Now, when Paul says we ought to sing psalms, obviously, we ought to include the psalms themselves in our worship music. And while we don't, as our Presbyterian brothers, have a psalter, many of the songs we sing have their theological and even wording basis in the psalms. And the truths taught in the psalms should inform and serve as a basis for other songs that we sing. That's psalms. The second type or style of music he mentions here is hymns. Again, English borrows the Greek word, which is humnos. It literally refers to poetry recited or sung, most often in the praise of or the honor of a deity. Both in the Septuagint and in the New Testament, hymns are songs that set forth some truth about God and are usually addressed directly to God. Alan Ross, in his excellent book on worship, writes, a hymn was more formal, loftier, and more universal in scope, that is, than a spiritual song, focusing on one or more of the divine attributes and not on our personal experiences. So a hymn is about God, celebrating something that's true about God, not so much something that's true about us or that he's done in us. Many scholars agree that the New Testament contains several fragments of poems that may very well have been first century hymns. For example, Luke 1, Mary's Magnificat. Also in Luke 1, the Benedictus of Zacharias. In Philippians 2, that amazing passage about our Lord's condescension and exaltation. Colossians 1, that description of Christ, and 1 Timothy 3.16. Those may all be fragments of first century hymns. And all of those focus on Christ and the atonement. Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn after the Last Supper, both Matthew and Mark tell us. The early church sang hymns, even corporately as well as privately. One of my favorite illustrations is there in Acts 16, where Luke tells us that when Paul and Silas were in prison in the Philippian jail, at midnight, they are singing praise to God. Literally, the Greek text says, they are hymning to God. Our music should be God-centered. That's really the message behind this word, hymn. Our music should be God-centered, Christ-centered, and cross-centered. As I said, there's a problem in the church if you can't tell by the music that they are followers of Jesus Christ and celebrate his death and resurrection. The third expression is spiritual songs. The Greek word for songs here is the word from which we get the English word ode. It's a poem intended to be sung. It can be used of a dirge, but most often it's about songs of joy and praise. Or it might be used generically for any kind of singing, sometimes with musical accompaniment. Paul adds an important word here, the adjective spiritual, a spiritual ode 
to distinguish these that ought to be sung in the church from secular songs. By the way, can I just stop here and say, the Bible knows nothing of God's people gathering for corporate worship and singing secular songs, as is unfortunately happening in many professing evangelical churches today. Spiritual songs. Now, spiritual songs here refers to music that is neither psalms nor hymns, but has a biblically solid spiritual message. Again, Alan Ross in his book on biblical worship writes, these are new songs that set forth the believer's spiritual enjoyment of life under God. These tend to be more about you and your experience and what God has done for us. Now those three expressions then summarize the variety of music that ought to fill the Christian's mind and the church's hymn book. From our understanding of those three styles, I want us just briefly to set out some guiding principles for selecting the right music. As we understand that variety, here's what ought to be true of whatever variety we listen to. Number one, the lyrics must be biblical. The lyrics of the songs we sing are to be full of rich biblical truth. Certainly, that was true of all the music recorded in Scripture. And our lyrics are to follow suit. Not only are they to be biblical, they ought to have something to be said that can't be said in three words or less. You know, there are many poorly written songs today. There are many weak, inane, ridiculous Christian songs that say absolutely nothing. And those of you who are a little older, before you glory too much, let me say that there are some identical songs to that in our hymn book as well. Weak, inane, ridiculous. We ought to sing songs that say something The lyrics of God-honoring music must have something to say, and what they have to say must be patently biblical. Not only should our music be biblical, but our music should be balanced. Our music should mirror the balance of the inspired music in our Bibles. Take a look at the music in our Bibles. The Spirit-inspired psalms and hymns in Scripture set a pattern for balance in several ways. Our music should be balanced in terms of Old Testament revelation to New Testament revelation. We have the Psalms, which speak of God in a variety of ways, but mostly of Him as creator and sustainer, protector, savior in a physical sense, and occasionally of spiritual salvation. When we come to the New Testament revelation, we find that the music has one consistent theme. What is it? Christ and Him crucified. That same balance should be true of our music as well. Not always just about God as creator, but about God as Redeemer, and vice versa. There should also be a balance between subjective experience and objective revelation. By subjective, I mean having to do with me and my feelings about God, my thoughts about God, what He's done for me. By objective, I mean the truth of who God is and what He has done, His character and His acts. It's okay for some of our songs to be subjective, the subjective expression of our thoughts and feelings to God. For example, I love the song we sing, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. That's a very personal expression of my own heart and thoughts to God. We find that same kind of personal expression in the Psalms. But much of the music of Scripture rehearses God's objective revelation of himself to us. And we must have that balance between subjective expression of our thoughts to God and the objective revelation of who God is as revealed to us. For every song about me and my feelings, there should be a balance of songs 
that are solely about God, like holy, 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 and oh, worship the king. Some songs do both at the same time, like a couple of favorites we sing in Christ alone and before the throne of God above. If a Christian or a church is always singing about their thoughts and their feelings and rarely singing about God himself and about his son and his atonement, they are seriously out of balance. There's another way we ought to stay in balance, and that is the songs recorded in Scripture teach us to have a balance of old songs and new ones as well. The Psalms were composed over a period of about 900 years. Most of the Psalms were written more than a thousand years before they were singing them in the New Testament churches. Then in the days of the early church, the Christological hymns were added. You know, we sing a mix of songs. Maybe you've thought that that's just a desire to try to keep everybody happy. You know, let's sing a little contemporary so they'll be happy. Let's sing a little traditional because they'll be happy. Absolutely not. It is based on the pattern of the early church. When you came into a church in the first century, in the New Testament times, you heard psalms sung that were written a thousand years before. And you sang Christological hymns that had just been written. That's why we have the mix we have. Because that was the pattern of the early church. Let's not lose the legacy that we have. We have hymns, uh, one hymn in our hymn book, Be Thou My Vision, an ancient Irish hymn that was written 1,300 years ago. That's wonderful and expresses powerfully our thoughts of praise to God. And we sing contemporary songs that were written last year. And that's how it was in the early church, and that's how the elders are fully agreed that it would be in this church as well. Understand that's philosophical. It's biblical. The Old Testament and New Testament people of God both sang old songs that were part of their heritage and they continued to add new songs in their day. In the same way, we should follow that example and there should be a mix of old and new. That's the pattern of the New Testament church. So our music is to be biblically based. It's to be balanced between Old and New Testament revelations, subjective and objective, between old songs that are part of our heritage and new songs that are written in our day. You know, there can and should be a great variety in our music. That's Paul's point here. But regardless of what form it takes, wherever a person is filled by the Spirit with the Word, there will be a deep, abiding love for God-centered music. Let me just ask you to take a little spiritual diagnostic yourself this morning. Do you have, personally, a genuine love for God-centered spiritual music? It expresses the words of the scripture back to God in praise. Say, so I'm not sure. Pay attention for a day or two to what you hum and what you whistle or what you sing, what station you turn to most often on your radio. Think about whether when you come corporately with the people of God, ask yourself, do I really enjoy joining with the people of God and singing? And by the way, if you do enjoy it, that doesn't necessarily mean you pass the spiritual diagnostic because there are a lot of people who just like music and so they can take it wherever, whatever it comes, however it comes. They're more into the emotion of the music and the feel of the music and being swept along by the music. So don't ask yourself, just do I love music? Is your heart into the lyrics? Is your heart into offering those true words of praise back to God? Are you just driven along emotionally? If you don't have a love for God-centered, Christ-centered, cross-centered music, then according to Paul here, you are not under the influence of the Spirit and the Word. 
and if you find your own musical tastes are primarily secular, then realize that you are using one of God's best gifts in a way he didn't design. Now, as we think about ways to encourage and promote a love for God-centered music, remember it's both a spiritual diagnostic and an encouragement to make some changes. Let me suggest several practical helps. These are not inspired, but I found these to be helpful. Maybe they'll be helpful to you. Just a couple of quick thoughts. Number one, memorize the lyrics of the songs we sing as a church as well as other songs that are rich in biblical truth. Memorize them, why? So that you can sing them privately and find encouragement from them. Uh, Last night, you know, even as I was uh, finishing up my preparation, I took a walk, as I often like to do. I was just thinking and praying and meditating and I love being outside in that context. And memorize it so that it can come to your mind and feed your soul and encourage you and teach you and admonish you. Secondly, fill your life with God-centered music. Fill your life with God-centered music. Download good music. Turn off the news. Turn off the political talk radio. Off the sports talk. And fill your mind with biblically solid lyrics. Try to develop a taste for good lyrics outside of your own personal music style preferences. Number three, try singing together as a family. Memorize one of the songs that we're singing here at church and sing it together. I do that personally, you know, if we sing a new song and I really like it, I'll go Monday or Tuesday and download those lyrics and put it on my phone and begin to sort of run those lyrics over my mind until I learn them so I can express that in praise to God so that I can be instructed. Do that as a family. When we first started singing in Christ alone here as a church, I printed it out and, you know, passed out the sheets, you know, to my family at night and we learned the lyrics together and sang now that song is a part of who we are. Number four, Always sing along with the songs you know as you listen to Christian music. Don't become the audience. Music was never intended to be an audience sport, okay? It's intended to be a participatory thing. You are to sing to God. So even if you're, you know, you can't really carry a tune if you had it in a bucket, that's okay. Sing along with those who can, but sing yourself as an expression of your praise to God. Number five, whenever you enjoy music, thank God for the gift he's given us. Music is a part of the person of God, is an expression of who he is. He sings, he's surrounded by music all the time, and he's given us the privilege of sharing in that gift. Every time you enjoy music, whatever it is, thank him for that amazing gift. And finally, number six, if you honestly have to admit that you don't have a love for music, Let me encourage you to study the texts that we looked at two weeks ago where I laid out the priority that God has given music. Study them, meditate on them, think about them. Ask God to open your mind to truly understand the huge priority he's given to music and ask God to give you a deep love for God-centered music that exalts him. Christian, he's given you music as a gift. Don't misuse the gift. It's not just for you, it's for the people around you, and it's ultimately a way to return glory to the one who created it. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of The Holy Spirit's Influence. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again brings us to God's Word. And we hope you join us then.
Now, before we leave you today, here's Tom with a closing thought. You know, it's so important that we let the Scripture determine how we think about these issues. Unfortunately, even on the issue of music, many people mistake their personal convictions, the decisions they've made relative to their own conscience with what the Scripture teaches. Questions like, should believers only listen to hymns? Is classical music okay? What about other contemporary expressions of music? It's easy for people to frame those questions as, thus saith the Lord, when in reality, they're issues of conscience. So it's important that even with music, we let the Scripture set the standard. But then, if the Scripture doesn't specifically address it, then it falls into issues of conscience. And all the issues of conscience and the decisions regarding issues of conscience falls into the grid given us in Romans 14 and 15 and 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.